Good morning. If you had 15 hours left to live, what would you spend it doing? 15 hours. Who would you spend it with? What would you spend it doing? Perhaps you would spend it with your loved ones. You would hold them close for those 15 hours. Perhaps you'd call up all of your unsaved relatives and friends, pleading with them to be saved one last time. Perhaps you'd go out into the community and try and impact as many lives as you possibly could in those 15 short hours. Whatever you might do, I think we could all agree that those hours are priceless. This morning, I'd like to do what the Lord, I'd like to look at what the Lord Jesus decided to do with those last 15 hours. If you could turn to John chapter 13 with me. John chapter 13. John chapter 13, and we'll be reading the first 17 verses of the chapter. It says, Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come, and that he should depart from this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. And supper being ended, the devil having already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, and that he had come from God and was going to God, rose from supper and laid aside his garments, took a towel and girded himself. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel with which he was girded. Then he came to Simon Peter, and Peter said to him, Lord, are you washing my feet? But Jesus answered and said to him, What I am doing now you do not understand, but you will know after this. Peter said to him, Lord, you shall never wash my feet. And Jesus answered him, If I do not wash you, you have no part with me. And Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, He who is bathed needs only to wash his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not all of you. For he knew who would betray him. Therefore he said, You are not all clean. So when he had washed their feet, taken his garments, and sat down again, he said to them, Do you know what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you say, Well, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. Most assuredly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is he who is sent greater than he who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. Our dear Heavenly Father, we do uh, thank you once again for this opportunity you've given us to uh, reflect upon your word and to think upon it. Father, I can't think of a bigger waste of time than to gather this morning and simply hear a man speak, especially myself, Lord. And so, God, we do just ask that indeed um, you would be the one speaking to our hearts. Father, we ask that you would give us ears to hear, that you give us hearts that are tender to your word. Give us hearts that are not only receptive to your word, but responsive to it as well. Father, we're so thankful for your spirit and how he guides us and speaks to us every day. And Father, we just confess to you this morning that 
This is our hour of need of the Spirit, Lord. Would you just speak to us? Would you help us to see what exactly the Lord Jesus wanted us to learn in these last few hours in which he lived? Oh, Father, speak to us, we pray. It's in your Son's name we pray. Amen. Usually the Passover meal would begin at about 6 o'clock in the evening, and it would last about two hours, ending around 8. The Lord Jesus would then be crucified the following morning at 9 o'clock in the morning. So he had approximately somewhere around 15 hours left to live. And it's quite interesting when you consider what he went through just hours later in the garden and how the thought of the cross would come to mind. It would be so heavy on his heart that he would sweat, as it were, great drops of blood. When you consider the, the torment that he endured even prior to being arrested, you can imagine that in these 15 hours, his heart indeed was heavy. And yet, he is able to set aside, from what it appears, the burdens of the cross. And he does something that at least he's never done before, other, uh, otherwise recorded in Scripture for his disciples. He decides to wash their feet. And the question we must ask ourselves is, is why would he do such a thing? Is he really just trying to teach his uh, disciples to have good personal hygiene after he leaves and to have clean feet? Or is he trying to teach them a lesson? And I, I think there's a big clue for us to find in verse 2. If you have King James or a New King James Bible, it will read, In supper being ended. However, many, many other manuscripts that have been found actually suggest that supper had not been over. And it was still continuing. And so if you would hold your finger here for a moment and turn to Luke chapter 22. Um, we're, we're trying to figure out why the Lord would get up from the table during the, during the meal and decide to wash the disciples' feet. Luke 22 and, and verse 24, this is after the Lord Jesus has already told his disciples that he has, uh, with fervent desire, looked forward to this Passover that he would eat with his disciples. He's already instituted the bread and the wine. But in verse 24, it says, Now there was also a dispute among them, that's the disciples, as to which one of them should be considered the greatest. So here we are the Passover, and the Lord Jesus is enduring the last moments of his life. He's heading to the cross, and yet there are his disciples bickering about who is going to be greater. You see, the, the disciples were confused at this time. They had bought into the, the Jewish mentality that the Messiah would come, and, and he would not come as a suffering servant, but he would come as a glorious king who would set up his throne in Israel and, and really reign over them. And they're under this mind of thinking, and it's confirmed in Matthew 20, no need to turn there, but even one of the, the mothers of the two sons of Zebedee would come to the Lord, and she would say, Lord, could you just grant me one favor? And he says, what would you like? She said, just have my two sons sit on your left and on your right in your throne. They had no doubt that he was the Messiah, but they were wrong as to what he was going to do. You see, he wasn't headed to establish his throne, he was headed to the cross. And there they were confused, and they're talking about who is going to be greater. You can just hear Peter saying, well, I think I'll be the greatest, 
because I was the only one who got out of the boat and walked on water. Perhaps others would say, well, well, Peter, I cast out more demons than you. The spirit was stronger in me. Perhaps others would say, well, I healed more people. And of course, you have John saying, well, I'm the disciple whom Jesus loved, and here I am leaning on his breast and going back and forth, back and forth, who is going to be greater? And here is the Lord Jesus sitting there in such a negative, selfish environment. On one side, you have pride, arrogance, and boastfulness. On the other side, you have Judas about to betray him. What a terrible atmosphere to spend your last night in. Personally, I'd rather be out somewhere else. But that's the atmosphere that the Lord Jesus was in. And as he's sitting there, he's looking at these disciples as they're bickering about who is going to be greatest. And he realizes the 11 out of these 12 men are going to lead my church when I leave. And so he has to do something. He realizes this, this attitude, this spirit that is within them is, is not of me, and I don't want this spirit to creep into the church, the spirit of pride and arrogance and, and selfishness of wanting to be lifted up high. And he says, I must do something. And so what does he do? He, he, he gets up. Uh, he, he gets up and he washes their feet. One thing I would like to do this morning is we're going to quickly look at the process in which he does it. But in, in verses... 14 and 15, he basically says, I've given you an example that you should follow. And if I, your Lord, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. So what we're going to do this morning is we're going to take the first half and we're going to look at the process in which the Lord Jesus did in washing their feet. And then if we are to follow the example that the Lord Jesus has given us, we have to ask ourselves, well, what exactly was he hoping to accomplish in doing this? So here we are in verse 3. I just want to point something out to you. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going to God, rose from supper. Now, it's very important as we're reading this to not lose sight of the environment that the Lord was in. Once again, very selfish, very arrogant, very proud. And if there's anyone who was to boast in this environment, it should have been the Lord Jesus. There he is sitting at the, at the table, and he realizes it says that he knew the Father had given all things into his hands. He had been given authority over all of creation. All things were created by him, through him, and for him. And he was given authority over all of these things with his hands. And yet, what does he decide to fill his hands with? The dirty feet of his disciples. The dirty feet of his disciples. If there was anyone who should have boasted, it was the Lord Jesus Christ. And yet, he humbled himself and filled his hands with the dirty feet of the disciples. The next thing he, we see him do in verse 4, it says, He rises from supper, he lays aside his garments, and takes a towel and girds himself. After that, he pours water into a basin and begins to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with a towel with which he was girded. The Jewish custom at this time for, for any feast was that the people would gather, gather and, they, and they, would, they would bathe themselves in preparation for uh, the feast that was taking place. So they would bathe themselves. Uh, the houses that they had, they didn't have running water, and so they had to, to gather in these centers, and they, they'd have to wash themselves, and then they'd put their sandals on, and they'd walk back. Oftentimes, in the, in the process of them walking back, perhaps they had to walk through mud. Perhaps they had to walk through very dry and dusty areas. But basically, the process in which it took for them to take a bath, put their sandals on, and walk home. 
their feet would get dirty again. And so as you got home, before you partook in the Passover, you would have a servant that would meet you at the door. And the servant would wash your feet, and then you'd proceed and enter into your house, and the feast would start. If you were privileged enough to have multiple servants, the servant that would meet you at the door was the lowest of all servants. In fact, in this time, it was very common for the servants not even to have a name. They were the lowest of all men, and yet the person that would wash your feet was the lowest of all servants. And it would be amazing if you considered the Lord Jesus having all authority in his hands, having all authority over all of creation, if it said that he simply got up and washed the disciples' feet with those hands, he could have ended it there, and it would have been an amazing story. But what the Lord Jesus does is not only does he fill those hands with the dirty feet of his disciples, he identifies himself with the lowest of all servants. He takes off his clothes. He clothes himself in a towel. The lowest of all servants oftentimes wouldn't have very much clothing. In fact, the clothing that they would have would be a towel. If the Lord Jesus wanted to, he could have potentially washed their feet with the garments in which he was wearing. But he didn't. You see, it wasn't enough for him to simply stoop down and wash the feet of his disciples. He wanted to identify himself with the lowest of all servants. And I just want you to think about for a second how awkward this would be for the disciples. Here they are bickering about who's going to be greater. And their, their Lord and Master gets up from the table. He takes his clothes off, fills up water, and then starts washing their feet. You can imagine how awkward, and, awkward this would be. And, and we see that evident in, in Peter when he comes to Peter in verse 6. Peter says, Lord, are you washing my feet? One thing that's, that's, that I like about Peter is that he realizes who the Lord Jesus is at this time. He says, Lord, you're my Lord and my master, and yet you're washing my feet. And Jesus says, what I'm doing now, you don't understand, but you will know after this. And Peter responds, and he says, Lord, you shall never wash my feet. The idea behind that word never literally means for all of eternity. So Peter says to the Lord, Lord, for all of eternity, you will never wash my feet. You're my Lord. How could you do such a thing and humble yourself so? And yet the Lord wanted to identify himself with the lowest of all men. He humbled himself and humbled himself and humbled himself until he became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. The only one who should have boasted. And yet he didn't identify himself as a king as a rightful heir to the throne, but he identified himself with the lowest of all servants in order to teach his, his disciples a lesson. But I want you to see Peter's response when the Lord says, if I do not wash you, you have no part with me. How quick Peter was to be afraid of that statement. He says, Lord, if that's the case, Peter doesn't even know what's going on. He says, well, we'll wash my hands and my head as well. Uh, we know that the Lord Jesus was very uh, popular for teaching in parables. And at this time, uh, we know that a parable is, is, is a story that illustrates something or teaches a, teaches a lesson. Here, the Lord Jesus is, in a sense, a living parable. You see, what he was doing here was he wasn't 
trying to teach his disciples that they ought to wash one another's feet, literally. Some churches today, they will read this passage, and God bless them, they apply that literally, and they say, okay, well, we need to wash one another's feet at the chapel. But what he's saying here, he answers in verse 10. He says, he who is bathed needs only to wash his feet. He says, you are bathed, you are clean, but not all of you. You see, literally, in the literal sense, Peter had taken a bath that day. If they followed the Jewish custom in preparation for the feast, he would have bathed that day. He said, but you just need to wash your feet. But what he's saying here is when we place our faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, our eternal state with him is secure. We're clean. But oftentimes when we walk in the world, our feet get dirty, and we need to return to him, and we need to ask for forgiveness, and it is there that he cleanses us of our sin. And so the Lord Jesus says, he who is bathed needs only to wash his feet, but is completely clean. But I just want to point out to you once more how quick Peter was to be afraid when the Lord Jesus says, if I don't wash you, you have no part with me. Listen, the the spirit that you have within you, Peter, pride, arrogance, boastfulness, that's not of me. And if you don't turn away from that, you don't have any part with me. And Peter says, well, if that's the case, Lord, then, then here I am, wash all of me. I wish I had that response. To not have a part with the Lord Jesus, to not have fellowship with him. And I want to be clear, he's not talking about your eternal security. If you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, your state, you are seated in the heavenly places, as we read in Ephesians. We're seated in the heavenly places, and that can't be taken away. But our communion, our fellowship with the Lord Jesus Christ today can be affected if we have sin in our life. And Peter was so quick, realizing that, he says, Lord, then wash all of me. Because I want, I want to have a part with you today. He was so quick to be afraid of that. And yet so often I feel in my life, sin doesn't seem like that big of a deal. So I can't enjoy the Lord so much today, but I can enjoy a couple moments of pleasure. But Peter says, no, Lord, wash all of me then. You will have no part with me if I do not wash you. And so that's a process in which the Lord Jesus Christ um, decides to teach his disciples the lesson. He, He gives them the example. But I just want to really focus for the remainder of our time on the Lord Jesus Christ. And he says, you call me teacher and Lord, and you say, well, for so I am. Verse 14, if I then your Lord and teacher have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I've given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. The question we must ask ourselves is, if I'm to follow the Lord's example, then what must I do to wash my brother's and sister's feet? You see, the Lord Jesus Christ had the ability to forgive sins that were committed against him. And in washing their feet, as the disciples would come to him, he would wash their feet, and he would cleanse them of all unrighteousness. And for us, What does it mean to wash one another's feet? And that's what we're going to look at. But one thing I want to point out to you is the first thing, that Jesus took the initiative. In washing the disciples' feet, he took the initiative. This was something that should have been done probably an hour before the Lord Jesus got up from the table. And yet the the disciples were so busy boasting themselves up and thinking that they were greater than one another that 
they themselves would not get down and wash their feet. But Jesus, realizing that no one had washed their feet, got up from the table and took the initiative. He took the initiative. So what does that mean for us? How do do we apply that to us? If I could just give a a practical example, um, the way in which we wash one another's feet is when we recognize that a brother or sister is going into the world or perhaps living some sort of worldly life, we go to them and we exhort them with the word and we help them get back. So he takes the initiative here. And to give you a practical example, while I was in in Lubbock, I had a a friend here uh, text me one day. And he said, you know, I was on social media and I saw that someone close to you uh, was doing this sort of behavior. And you might want to look into it. Now, what he was doing, he he wasn't gossiping in any way, but he was saying, the relationship I have with this individual is not appropriate for me to go to them. You should go to them. And so what I ended up doing is I went to that person and, and, and we ended up talking about it. Another example is if we see a potential problem with a brother's or sister's attitude, a brother's or sister's life, then we are to go to them and we are to say, brother, this is what the word says and you're living in opposition to it. Now, I just want to make it clear in my life, I've, I've been on both sides of the coin. I've been the person that went to an individual that was struggling, and I've been the person struggling. And if you're that person struggling, and you have a brother or sister come to you saying, in a loving fashion, I'm worried, I'm concerned about the life in which you're living, you have two options. You can harden your heart, or you can repent. Now, I want to be clear that when we are to wash one another's feet, it is not simply to point out that their feet is dirty. The Lord Jesus Christ didn't get up and say, okay, Peter, your feet are dirty. Can you, can you start washing each other's feet? No, he got down and he washed their feet. And when we recognize that a brother or sister is in sin, we go to them. We point out in Scripture how their life is in opposition to the Lord and we help them get back. So often, I feel that we're so good at pointing out the flaws in others, and yet we we don't have the heart of the Lord Jesus to lead them back. Saying, listen, you're getting off the the, the road of the straight and narrow, and I want to get you back. You have this problem. Let's work through it together. It has this idea of of coming alongside them and, and bearing their burden together and getting back onto the path. And that is how we're supposed to wash one another's feet. It's not simply pointing out the wrong in others, but helping them get back. You know, I praise the Lord that he, he doesn't just point out my, my fears and failures to, to me daily, but he helps me get back. And it's the heart of the Lord Jesus that we see in this passage, knowing that their hearts were so filled with pride and arrogance and boastfulness, he gets up, he says, I'm going to demonstrate for you today that the attitude you have in your heart is not of me. So he, takes, he takes the initiative. The, the problem with the disciples that we see in this passage is that they were so proud that perhaps they were blinded to their need of their feet being washed. Or perhaps they saw the need of others and didn't recognize that they themselves had a need. And I think that's one of the biggest problems with pride is that it makes us blind. You see, the Lord Jesus, this is something that's been so convicting of me lately, 
in James, he says, God gives grace to the humble, but resists the proud. And one thing we found in, in DITP, we did some uh, looking around in, in, in the Greek, and we find that the, the word resist is, is a military term. And so it's literally to build formations against. It's not simply like, okay, you're being proud today. I don't want to talk to you today. No, it's literally I'm fighting against you because of the sin that's in your life. The Lord resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. He took the initiative. His goal wasn't simply to teach them a lesson. He could have easily just pointed out all of their pride and made them feel guilty. But instead, he got in his hands and knees, and he helped them to get back. The second thing Jesus, we see Jesus doing is he humbled himself in washing their feet. You see, if, if we as loving brothers and sisters in Christ are to help one another get back, there's a humbling process that must take place in both the restorer and the one struggling. And he humbled himself and washed their feet. He humbled himself and washed their feet. You can imagine how, how messy his, his, his garment, or how messy he would have gotten from doing such a thing. But he humbled himself. The only one who could have boasted, the only one that should have boasted, humbled himself. And how caring he was of the disciples. The third thing we see Jesus doing, and this is probably the hardest to fathom, is he washed even Judas's feet. Despite the fact that he uh, would cause so much pain on him. In fact, if you just look at verse 21, this is when he begins talking about the Lord, uh, about Judas. It says, when Jesus said these things, he was troubled in spirit and testified and said, most assuredly I say to you, one of you will betray me. Troubled in spirit, it means literally distressed, heartbroken over the issue. And yet, so here he is, he, he's talking to his disciples who, who he's loved for three years, who he's poured his heart and soul into for three years, and he turns to Judas, realizing that he was going to betray him, and his heart is broken. And yet we see that the Lord Jesus would still wash his feet. I can't imagine how hard it would be to live with someone for three years knowing exactly that they were going to betray you for money. And yet for three years, that didn't affect the Lord Jesus' attitude towards him. Even the very night in which Judas would betray him, it didn't affect his attitude toward Judas. I can't prove what I'm about to say, but I, I wouldn't be surprised for a second if the Lord Jesus started with Judas's feet. Isn't that the heart of the Savior? That he would get up from the table, that he would remove his garments, he'd fill the basin with water, and as he came back to the table trying to figure out who to start with, who is it that needs to feel my love? And yet he would get down and wash Judas's feet. I wouldn't be surprised for a second if he started with Judas. In 1 John 1.9, a very common verse says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You see, brothers and sisters, there's going to be a time where brothers and sisters in Christ will cause us much pain. Emotional, 
psychological, physical, spiritual, whatever the case is, there will be a time in which we will inflict pain upon one another. And yet the Lord Jesus says, he is faithful and just to first forgive us of all of our sins and then to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And if we too are to help one another get back on the straight and narrow, we are to forgive one another of all the pain that has been afflicted. And how hard that would be. You know, the Lord Jesus Christ wasn't so focused on being right. And I think that's the biggest difference between us and him at times, is that we're so focused on justifying ourselves and being right in our own position. And yet the Lord Jesus, he stoops down to wash the feet of Judas, knowing that he was going to betray him. And he washes his feet. I think the biggest problem and the biggest reason why we don't see this practiced in the church today is we have a lot of people who aren't willing to forgive. A lot of people who hold on to things. And yet the Lord Jesus, knowing just moments, just moments from now, Judas would betray him. He was willing to forgive. He stoops down and washes his feet. Up until the very end, the Lord Jesus Christ was trying to woo Judas. Wooing him with his love. Wooing him with his compassion. And yet time and time again, Judas says no. Jesus washed Judas's feet despite the pain that he would afflict upon him. The last thing I want you to see is that Jesus washed their feet understanding that it wouldn't be the only time he would have to do so. I love how, how John starts off this chapter. Years and years after all of this has taken place, he's looking back and he says that the hour came for the Lord Jesus to go back to the Father. And looking back, it's like he just keeps going on. He, he loved his own who were in the world. He loved them to the end. To the end of his ministry, yes. To the end of time, yes. To the utmost, he loved them. You see, the Lord Jesus Christ got down on his hands and knees to wash their feet, knowing that it wasn't the last time he would have to forgive them and to cleanse them from all unrighteousness. I think so often in our hearts, we keep a count of wrongs, and it's like in our hearts we have a number that we aren't willing to go over. When a brother or sister has wronged us, we might forgive them, but then they might wrong us again, and all of a sudden the accounts just start going up and up, and, and it comes to a point where we are not willing to cross. But if you would, uh, turn with me to Luke. Uh, I just want to, I think this is an important point. Luke 17. Luke 17. Uh, we're familiar with the passage where uh, someone asked the Lord Jesus how often he should forgive a brother. He says 70 times 7. But I think this is even more extreme. In, in Luke 17 and verse 3, he says, Take heed to yourselves. If your brother sins against you, rebuke him, and if he repents, forgive him. Verse 4, he says, And if he sins against you seven times in a day, and seven times in a day returns to you saying, I repent, you shall forgive him. 
And isn't that the, the heart of the Lord Jesus Christ? That no matter how many times we wrong him, and even a day, a period, we just come to him and say, Lord, I'm sorry, I did it again. Would you please forgive me? And you forgive him. The next hour, I'm sorry, I did it again. Would you please forgive me? And you forgive him. You see, the Lord Jesus Christ washed their feet knowing that he'd have to do it over and over and over again. And I think that's something we must realize about one another as well. It's something that we must realize that if we who have been forgiven of so much, how can we forgive so little? I think so often we have a, a tendency to, to belittle the sin in which we've been forgiven, and, and we're so quick to point out the wrong in our brother and sister, and we make a comparison to our belittled sin and how much they've wronged us. And it's really so selfish because we esteem ourselves more highly than they do. I think it's in Galatians where Paul says, let a man not think he has anything when he is nothing. And I think that's the mindset that the Lord Jesus Christ had. Although he could have boasted, and although he, he, he was the only one worthy to boast in all of the authority that was given him, yet he would humble himself and identify himself with the lowest of all servants. Could it be, brothers and sisters, that this was such an important lesson for the Lord Jesus Christ to teach his disciples. So important that he would take moments out of his 15 hours left. Those priceless moments that he had left. And he would illustrate this lesson for his disciples. Could it be that that was so important to the Lord Jesus Christ and yet it is something continually rejected in our lives? He could have done anything. He could have gone out to heal the multitudes once more. He could have gone out and given a, another great message, pleading with the people to turn from their sins. And yet he stayed with his selfish, arrogant, boastful disciples to teach them this lesson. He would set all the worries of the cross aside, and he would teach them this lesson. Could it be that it is so important to the Lord Jesus and yet so rejected in our own lives, in our own marriages, in our own parenting? You see, the point of washing one another's feet is to be held accountable to one another. I, I love that the Lord doesn't have us face the world alone. Although he did, he doesn't have us do it alone. And the point of washing one another's feet is to, to see a brother or sister struggling with sin, struggling with worldliness, coming alongside them and bearing their burden and helping them get back. And yet so often we try and fight the world alone. So often we love the world more than we love the Lord. And do we often not respond the way Peter did, where even the fear of not having fellowship with the Lord at that moment was terrifying for him? Oh, Father, oh, Lord, wash me. Here are my hands and my head. Wash me all over. I want to respond to sin that way. And then finally in verse 17, he says, If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. I think so often we're boastful in our knowledge. 
and yet our knowledge lacks action. The Lord doesn't say, blessed are you if you know these things. He says, blessed are you if you do them. Love one another as I have loved you. Learn to wash one another's feet as I have washed your feet. The Lord Jesus was so quick to forgive. I wish that was my heart. I wish that was all of our hearts, that we would be so quick to humble ourselves, so quick to run to the feet of the Lord Jesus and say, Lord, I did it again, and I don't want to spend one more second out of fellowship with you. And yet that was the heart of Peter, and that was the heart of the Lord Jesus, to humble himself and to wash their feet, despite the fact that perhaps he would have to do it again and again and again. Oh, brothers and sisters, that's the heart that we should have for one another. Let's pray. Our dear Heavenly Father, we do thank you for the deep, deep love of the Lord Jesus Christ. We're thankful, Father, that love is still the same today as it was 2,000 years ago when he was in the room for his disciples. Father, we think upon the disciples and how selfish and proud they were, and yet let us not think that we are any better than they. Father, so often I, I find myself so, so proud and so selfish. And Father, I confess to you that I know that's not of your spirit. It's not of, of you. Oh, Father, help us to be like your son. We're thankful, Father, that we indeed wake up to new mercies every day. And I know, Lord, that I'm, I'm, I'm needful of those mercies every day. Oh, Father, help us to be gracious as your son was gracious. Help us to be merciful towards one another as your son is merciful. Oh, Father, give us the same heart for one another that your son would have, that he would stoop down, that he would identify himself with the lowest of all men. Oh, Father, so often it's my desire to be lifted up. Father, we ask that that would not be our desire. So, God, we just ask that you would help us to do these things and to not only know them. We ask this in your son's name. Amen.